Lord, thank you once again, God, for being our Jesus, Lord. Your name, God, is wonderful. Your name is sweet, Lord. Your name saves. Your name is powerful, God. And we thank you, God. And give me Jesus, Lord. It's, it's you that we want. And as we get into your word, may you speak to us, God. May you continue to minister to our hearts, Lord. Even in this time of worship, it's just been a wonderful, sweet, treasured time that we can sit before you, God. And so, Lord, we want to be Martha's, no, Mary's, sorry, (laughs) not Martha's, but to settle down, to sit before you and listen for your voice. And so, God, speak to us, and we ask you, anoint this time with your Holy Spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was uh, reading this about how there are some who say, maybe, as far as missions go, It may be more cost-effective for missionary support. That is, like to send money. And and just follow me here. I know that this is kind of strange. But but some are talking about, no, we don't need to send missionaries. Let's just send the money over. And the reasoning is to give support to the nationals already there. I mean, since many of these third world countries, the exchange rate, you can get more for your dollar, uh, you know, things, the money would go farther. Uh, it'll be cheaper than sending a missionary, say, from the, the West. And that kind of that's true. Uh, plus, their argument goes is the national will be able to be more effective, you know, talking to their own people and evangelism than a Western missionary. But those who, on the other side, say, well, you know, we're not really about that or into that. And they go along with this line of thinking that the nationals, yeah, you know, they need support and all that. But they need support because they're struggling. They need help. And also, the nationals don't have maybe access to different regions in other parts of the world that they should be going anyway. Plus, sending missionaries, going along with that, is exactly what Jesus had commissioned believers to do, churches to do. In that no matter what country you're from, right? Jesus said, go, yeah, and make disciples, what? Of all nations. So the idea is to go out of your country. And that was Jesus' heart in Matthew 28. And if you look at Jesus as our example, you can see how God worked. And I love this. This is what I read. God didn't send a check. He sent his son. That was really good. Well, tonight as we return to our study in the book of Acts, we find this call, really of Barnabas and Paul, to go out on a mission trip. And really, we're going to find this as, it's really called the first missionary journey. And so I titled our message tonight, The Mission Begins. The Mission Begins. We come to Acts chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. And in our study, in our passage today, there's four things we're going to see. Number one, the sending. Number two, the sharing. Number three, the sabotage. And number four, the saving. So four things. So our title once again, The Mission Begins, Acts 13, 1 through 12. And we're going to begin here, number one, with the sending. 
the sending. Now, in this section, we're going to cover verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3, Acts chapter 13. But first of all, let's take a look at verse 1. Take a look at verse 1. It says here, Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So we'll stop right there. So we begin with Luke, the writer here, and he begins with that word, now. So it's like, okay, guys, follow me here. Now, we're going to focus on something here. And the focus here turns to the church at Antioch. Now, they were in that church at Antioch. Antioch. Now, if you remember, the that church came up back in church eleven. I mean, uh, chapter eleven. Actually, it was even before that. But we really folk or talked about it in chapter eleven. And as you remember, Antioch, that city is up north, uh, 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 above Israel, really. Today, it's in our modern Turkey uh, area, really at the bottom of, of the edge of the of Turkey. There on the border. It's back then. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was known for its trade. It was a bustling city. It was known also for its vices. You could say that Antioch was known as Sin City, right? Sometimes we call Vegas that. And so that this is Antioch, major city in the Roman Empire. So we're back now talking about that. We're back now about the church in Antioch from chapter 11. Now, if you remember back in chapter 11, what happened? Well, these Hellenists, right? These Jews, these Greek-speaking Jews were in, went to Antioch, started sharing Christ, and a revival broke out. And remember, Gentiles were getting saved. And for the first time, here's a church full of Gentiles. And it was kind of known as that Gentile church. Jerusalem had the Jewish church, right? But as we saw in Acts 1-8, when Jesus said, you shall be witnesses for me, where in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Well, Judea is Jewish. I mean, Jerusalem, Judea is Jewish, right? Samaria, the half-breeds, and the ends of the earth meant Jesus wanted a gospel to go out to the Gentiles. Well, this is happening this is happening now with this church. So with this revival going on, a church was born in the city of Antioch. And as we're going to see, and I mentioned back then too, that the church in Antioch becomes a sending church. It becomes a hub for missionary efforts out into the world. So this is huge here as we're coming into this place. So the Antioch church is mentioned because really this is where missions start with the early church. This is where the start of the missions, uh, missionary journeys of Paul, the apostle Paul, begins. And this is who God uses. Remember, Paul is known as the apostle to the Gentiles. And this is where the story begins and unfolds from this point on to see Paul reaching out to the Gentiles. Remember last time we were, if you remember a while back, when we were back in the last chapter, I talked about how up until this point, we've been really, Luke's been talking about Peter, uh, what's happening with Peter, the apostles. Well, now there's a, there's a change here. As we come into chapter 13, a lot and a lot of focus is going to be on the apostle Paul. 
So we're kind of like in volume two of the book of Acts here as we come into this chapter. So here is the early church beginning to really reach out even in an official way in missions out into the world. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 20, verse 19. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And this is where we're at. This is where, where Jesus, God, is now sending folks out to all nations, out into the world at that time. All right. So, in this church of Antioch, well, there was these guys. There was prophets and teachers we read here next. Now, the word prophets, and we're talking about some of the main leaders in the church. The word prophets really talks about guys who, who God uses to speak through. They have a special word from the Lord. And many times, as a prophet does, it's about events that are going to come in the future. That, that's a prophet. They, they're speaking on the behalf of God. Teachers now, teachers are the guys who've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, gifted to expound and explain the Word of God in a simple and understandable way. So, so that's teachers God has gifted. Some are both prophets and teachers. But uh, we see that the apostles sometimes are termed prophets, or both, I believe, because they actually are giving us the scripture that we have today, right? We have letters of Paul, or we have the Gospels, you know, that have been written. So God used them to speak the Word of God. Uh, some, some writers in the Bible, they weren't necessarily prophets, but we see God used them to give a scripture like Luke or, or Mark or in that way. But in general, the prophets bring a special word from the Lord, and the teachers explain the word of God in an understandable way. Well, here's the prophets and teachers of the church in Antioch and their name here. Uh, I would tend to think that, yeah, these are the main guys, the main leaders in the, in the church here. And so we have a list of names in verse 1 beginning with Barnabas. We know Barnabas. We know Barney. Uh, he, he, we know him from way back. He was introduced in, in the beginning of the book of Acts when the church was forming and people started giving gifts. Barnabas was one of them. Do you remember what, it, what his real name is? This is his nickname, Barnabas. Barnabas means encouragement. Do you remember what his real name was? Joe. Joe, in a Bible trivia game, that'll be a good question, right? Yeah, I would win it on that one. But anyway, Joel, that, that's his name. Um, uh, um, or, or Joel or Joseph? I'm sorry. Maybe I don't know. Joseph, sorry, Joseph. That's why I have notes. So uh, Barnabas, though, so he, he is the guy who also introduced Saul to the apostles. Remember, they were all scared to meet him. So Barnabas has been a main, main person, a character here in our study in the book of Acts. Next, we see listed as Simeon, who was called Niger. Now, he's Jewish, and perhaps uh, it's believed he's from the area of Africa, a Jewish guy, and so he's, he's of Niger. Niger really literally means dark skin, and so he could have had that, or he's from that area. And then we have uh, next on the list, we have here is Lucius of Cyrene. Now, he 
probably maybe was one of the original men who came to Antioch to bring the gospel. Because back in Acts 11.20, it talks about some guys from Cyrene. Uh, um, they came and brought, uh, some Hellenists brought the gospel there. So he's probably one of those guys. And then we have uh, Manayan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, Herod is one of the Herods. Tetrarch means one quarter. So this Herod, remember, it's kind of like a title. Uh, the original Herod was kind of like an overseer, sort of governor-ish over the area of uh, Judea, parts of Judea. Um, Tetrarch, uh, uh, he had sons, so this is one of the sons that took one quarter or, or, or one part of that area. And Herod the Tetrarch is otherwise known as Herod Agrippa, and he, or I'm sorry, Herod Antipas, Antipas, and and we'll see a little bit more uh, of of about that later, and then, so Manan grew up with this Herod. Uh, they were lifelong friends, and so that's kind of interesting there that that's mentioned. Now. They grew up together, and I think maybe Manan was famous for, oh, you know, he knew, he knew this, this son of Herod. He, he knew, you know, him. He grew up together, but now he's one of the prophets or teachers. And I think that's interesting, because if you think about it, they grew up together, but as they grew, they took different paths, yeah? One went, went with the Lord. One became strong in the Lord. One became uh, maybe a pastor, a leader here, a prophet, a teacher. The other one, well, just followed the way of, of the wickedness of the Herods. So I think that's interesting. I think we need to consider, like, you know what? The choices we make yeah, in our life can set us on this path we're going to end up in. So I thought that was interesting that that's mentioned there. So, verse 1, the last person on the list, list is Saul. We're going to see his name change to Paul in verse 9. But we know this is Paul the apostle. So we see this leadership, the prophets, the teachers in the Antioch church. God put together this group of men. And I like this. From all different backgrounds, all different cultural places, all different foreign backgrounds. And he put them together, united as the prophets and teachers of this Antioch church. And isn't that the way God does church anyway? Everyone comes from different backgrounds. Everyone comes from different cultural places, maybe different races, uh, different locations where you're born and raised. And now we're together. And that's what God does in unifying us. I was thinking about something A.W. Tozer said, Unity in Christ is not something to be achieved. It is something to be recognized. I think that's huge. I think that's something we have to understand. I mean, yeah, we, we work toward unity in that sense. But did you know that we are united through the Holy Spirit? When we come to the Lord, when we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And then Paul talks about it in his officials that the Holy Spirit, it is in his epistles that the Holy Spirit is the one who unites us. That's our common bond. And in that, right, when we come to Jesus, we become children of God and we become what? One family. And so we're united 
in the spiritual way in what God has done already. So it needs to be recognized. I think if we recognize that, that no matter what background you have, no matter where you came from, no matter if, you know, what nationality you are, no matter, God has set us together as one. And I've talked about this before. We need to lay down those prejudices. We need to stop drawing those lines. And we need to become one. All right, let's go on here. Verse 2, it goes on and says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. All right, so the Lord speaks to the, the leadership of this church. And the Lord uh, tells them that, hey, we, there's two guys we want to send out. These are going to be our missionaries. They're going to be our first missionaries. And so how does the Lord speak to them? When does the Lord speak to them? Well, we see here in verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, that's when they heard the Holy Spirit speak. Now, worshiping the Lord, they're seeking God. I would assume that they're singing. I assume that they're worshiping in that way. I assume that they're praying together. And some commentators even, even say that. Well, maybe uh, that, they add that. It wasn't just the leaders. It really could have been the whole church here, you know, seeking the Lord. And I, I could picture that too. And I think that that's great. When we're worshiping, when we're in the Word, when we're praying, you know, we're we're really seeking God, and those are the moments I believe God will really speak to, especially as we seek the Lord. And what does He want? What does He want from me? And this church was probably praying about God. What do we do now? What's Your will? What What do You want us to do? And the Lord speaks to them. Hey, through the Holy Spirit, I want you to send out uh, uh, Barnabas, and I want you to send out Paul here or Saul for the work. So. Uh, God speak to them. There's another thing we see here, right? They're seeking the Lord in worship, but they're also fasting. Now, fasting is basically, we know, right, when you don't eat. But why do we fast in a spiritual sense when we're seeking God? Well, fasting is about denying your hunger, denying, we would say, our, our physical flesh, yeah, and what it wants, what its desires are. And so we're willing to put all our fleshly, physical things, put it aside and seek God in a spiritual way. That's really the idea. And as we're putting that aside, and I like to think of it this way, well, rather than stuffing my face and eating, I'm going to spend that time in, in seeking God. And that's fasting. You know, it's like, well, you know what, God, I'm going to fast. I'm not going to eat lunch today. That hour lunch break, I'm going to just sit before you and pray and seek you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to open your word. I want to hear from you. That's that fasting that's meant in a spiritual seeking here and what they were doing. And so when we fast, we're looking for God to speak to us, to reveal his will, to give us a word. And that's what these guys were doing. So then the Holy Spirit in the worship and fasting speaks to the church or the leadership most likely here that, hey, send out Barnabas and Saul to be our first missionaries. Here it says here in um, verse 2, 
the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. The word set, set apart basically is talking about put them aside uh, to be sent out. They are separated from everyone else. These are the ones chosen to go out on this first missionary journey. And they are to uh, do the work to which I have called them. And what's that work? Well, we know to bring the gospel out to all the nations, to share the truth of Jesus Christ, to preach the word. So here now, through this worship and, and praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit speaks and says, you know who it is? Barnabas and Saul. Now, when? When are they to go? Well, we see in the next verse, in verse 3, look, then after fa fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So they fasted and prayed even more. And I tend to think that there's an amount of time you're like, okay, we know who it is, but God, when, when are we to do that? Well, they fasted and prayed and worshiped and sought the Lord even more. And then the Lord told them, it's now. They laid hands on them, they prayed over them, and they sent them off. The original language sent um, them off or sent off, uh, it, it literally is let go. It literally is like set free. And I, I was thinking about that. I like that. You know, I believe God was also putting it on the heart of Barnabas and Saul also that th they were to go. Because I was thinking about how many missionaries I know when God is calling them and they feel that urge to go. They don't go right away, but they're waiting for God's timing. And once God says now, and they go. It's like that. It's like, like a racehorse, you know, uh, uh, waiting for the gates to open. It's like, oh, let go. Oh, now I can go, you know. And they're set free to go do their mission. And so that's what's going on here. So we see the call of God through the church to send them off into the mission. That's the idea we see here. Now, before we go on, I want you to notice three things about these missionaries. And I forgot to put on the slides. But there's three things, quickly, about these missionaries. And number one is this. The candidates were already serving. They were already serving, right? I mean, they're prophets or teachers. We know Barnabas and Saul in the last chapter, they took that gift from Antioch to Jerusalem, who was hurting because of the famine, to give support. We saw they were on their way back to Antioch at the end of the last chapter. So they're already in motion. They're already serving, right? Um, and and it's, it, there's a saying, look, um, if you're not serving at home, how can you serve abroad? Yeah. You've you, you got to be in the work already. You've got to be in that. And I believe being in the work at home before you go off is like your training. Before you, you go out into the mission field, you should be serving at your local or home church. Because God is using that to raise you up for you to learn and grow. And then he sends you out and what you learn you take that with you and you implement out there. So the candidates were already serving. Barnabas and Paul were already serving, number one. Number two, the Holy Spirit did the calling. Number two, the Holy Spirit did the calling. We see that, right? The Spirit spoke to the leaders about Barnabas and Paul, who they were the ones. Yeah? The leaders heard from the Holy Spirit and, and, and confirm perhaps what Barnabas and Paul were feeling. And then they're like, yeah, go, this is it. It wasn't Barnabas and Paul, like, like you know, wasn't like, let, let us go. I don't know, but, you know, pray about this, maybe that.
But still, it was not a person's decision here. It wasn't even one of the leaders like, uh, you guys need to get out of here. I'm tired of you guys. No, it was the Holy Spirit who spoke. And they waited on the Spirit to say that. And then number three is the church is the one who sent Barnabas and Paul. So the candidates are already serving. The Holy Spirit did the calling. But then the church together sent Barnabas and Paul. In other words, they, they went with Antioch, the church of Antioch's blessing. They went with Antioch's support. So as they went, it was like Antioch is with them. Antioch is, is we're, we're right there. We're going to be praying for you. We're gonna be, we want to do our best to uh, support you and, you know, all of that. So they went with uh, the church sent Barnabas and Paul. So in all of this is to say this, the sending, the sending of these two was all God. It was all God, you guys. You know, I I was thinking about this. I never forgot. It was about four or five months or so before I went on full-time staff at our church into ministry. um, There was three times that someone gave me a word. It was, it was through the Holy Spirit. But I remember the first time, and I, was, I wasn't on staff. I wasn't a pastor. I was involved. I was in leadership. But I remember one time we were in the foyer of the church, and one of the assistant pastors looked at me. And it was just one of those moments I, I'll never forget. And he just looked at me, and he said, You know what, Rick? God's going to use you. Now, at any other time, we think, oh, yeah, of course, you know, God uses all of us, right? But it was just something in that moment, the way he said it, the look on his face, that it was a Holy Spirit moment. And I took that as the Spirit saying that. There was other instances, two other ones. Well, four or five months later, I ended up, you know, on staff at the church. It was the Holy Spirit calling and doing this. I felt the call to ministry. I felt, ever since I was 16, actually, um, this was I was 30 years old. I needed a lot of preparation. I still do. But anyway, um, you know, it it was just, it came. And it was just that moment. That was God's call. Yeah. Similar things happened before we moved here to plant this church. And and, But I I, I remember, though, it was the end, the December of 2003. We moved in 2004 in uh, end of March. But uh, I remember one of I was praying a lot. God, is this you? I gave him a, a lot of fleeces, and I think he got tired of me. In God's grace and mercy, he kept answering my fleeces. But one of the biggest ones was I, I asked the Lord, God, I don't want to tell the senior pastor. I want you to tell him. And that was a big ask. Well, I remember beginning of December, the senior pastor comes into my office. Uh, I was on staff in my office, and he said, you know, Rick, the board and I, we feel like we want to be a church that, that plants other churches, send people out, and everyone on the board thinks you're the one. You know, and, and that was after two years of praying. And, and I was like, whoa. And, and then two weeks later, he comes in and says, or I went to talk to him, and he goes, you know, Rick, I've been praying. I feel like you should go to Hawaii. Now, you have to understand, that's what we've been praying for for two years. 
And so, and there's more to that story, but I'm not spending all the time. But just to tell you, God works and moves in that way. The Holy Spirit speaks to people. And so for us, when we left, all oh, the church laid hands. They supported us, you know, for months. And, and it, it was a whole effort, you know, from the church. And for me, that, that's how I wanted to go, though. From, I saw a lot of pastors leave in different ways. But I, I, I didn't want to, my heart was not, not to just go, but I wanted to be sent. Some pastors, they went on their own. But I want it to be sent. Not went, but sent. And that's what the Lord did. And that's what I see with Saul and uh, Barnabas here. So the mission begins. This is the sending that happens. Well, let's go to number two, the sharing. The sharing. Here we go on to verse four and five. Uh, Let's take a look at these two verses. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So we'll stop there. Now we begin now. This is really called, what we're coming into is Paul's first missionary journey. Altogether in the book of Acts, there's three missionary journeys that we're going to follow here and go, travel with him. We're going to be studying this. But this is the beginning of the, what is called the first missionary journey. Uh, just, just so you know, all three, all together, the three missionary journey, it spans like 15 years. So it's not like some short-term thing. There's a lot that goes on in there. So we read here in verse 4, being sent out now by the Holy Spirit, it's not them, God did this, God's calling them. They went down to Seleucia, which is 60 miles south of Antioch. So they went to the seaport there. They got on a boat, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And today we know Cyprus is an island, right, in the Mediterranean Um, uh, part of Greece. So they sailed to that island. And so verse 5, when they arrived at Salamis, or Salami, no, um, that, oh, they must make Salami there. Just joking. Um, Bad joke. But (laughs) it's on the eastern side of Cyprus. There's a port there, and that's where they came into and landed on the east coast. So when they landed, they proclaimed the word of God. They started to share the word. They started to share the truth of Jesus. They started to share the gospel of God. So they preached and taught Jesus Christ. They taught the word of God. And notice it says in verse 5, in the synagogues of the Jews. Now understand, this was Paul's strategy, and we're going to see this throughout the book of Acts, that wherever town or wherever you went in, he finds the synagogue. He finds the Jews. He goes into the synagogue, and usually guest speakers, you know, can talk, and out-of-town rabbis, and you know, Paul's this out-of-town rabbi, Pharisee guy, so he gets the platform. He gets the stage, and so it's an opportunity for him to preach the scriptures and bring Jesus Christ in, to bring the Messiah. Hey, it's Jesus. 
Jesus. And we'll see how sometimes that didn't go too good. You know? Jews, you know, uh, went, uh, rose up against them. But sometimes it went good. People got saved. But that was his like normal operating strategy where he'd come into a town and he would preach in the synagogues. And then if the synagogues rejected, but he'd go there, but then he would preach to the Gentiles. So that was the strategy here to preach Jesus in the synagogues first and then go to the Gentiles. And if you think about it, that's sort of what Jesus was saying, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. So he's following that pattern. And it clicked in my mind today, like, oh, like turn over to Romans chapter 1. No wonder he writes this. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, we know this verse, or you should know this verse. If you don't, if it's not highlighted, under, underlined, this should be your verse. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We know that, right? It's not our our power. It's God's power. It's the message, the gospel that saves. And then at the end of verse 16, it says, what? To the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentiles. Interesting, right? Because that's how Jesus came too, right? He he was telling him, no, I'm coming to the Jews first. Later, it's going to go to Gentiles. So anyway, I thought that was interesting there. So that was his... Uh, Back to Acts 13, his mode of operation, his strategy, verse 5, going to the Jews first. Now, Luke gives us a note here at the end of verse 5 that they had John to assist them. So it wasn't just Barnabas and Saul that was out on this missionary journey. They had someone helping them, and this was John Mark. John here is otherwise known as John Mark. Uh, He came up. His name, I think, was in the last chapter. Uh, he's the one who is in the garden and fled, you know, naked and when they were trying to capture or something like that. And, and he's the one who later wrote the book of Mark, uh, which is believed to be really from Peter, you know, hearing what Peter had told him. So this is John Mark. And later there's going to be an incident. We'll talk about that. Uh, 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 maybe the next or next part of the chapter where he leaves. So we'll talk about that later. But so John Mark is mentioned here. John is the one who is with them. All right. So we see here the sharing of Jesus started here on Cyprus. The sharing of Jesus started here on Cyprus. This was the beginning. This was the target. This wasn't the only place, but on this missionary journey, because they're going to travel, but it started right here. And from there, they went on. So in seeing this, it made me think about the pioneer, pioneer missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, one of my heroes. If you ever could read any of his material, his biography, read it. And, and it'll just spark your heart. He's my hero. Well, when he first went out, he landed in Shanghai in 1854. And, and you've got to understand that uh, he's a pioneer mission. Like, like, like people were going, but they were staying in Shanghai. And, but he, he was one that went full on, full bore. And 
and other than the trade, you know, the Chinese people hardly saw anybody who was who is white, you know, holy in that way. And so he went out to try and, and share Jesus, but people weren't talking to him because here's this Englishman, black coat and all that. Yeah. So you know what he did? He got creative. He got a Chinese robe, so he dressed like everybody. He went to the barber, had his haircut and shaved like right up at the top and got a, 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 a wig, a black wig with a braided, a long queue along down. And when he did that, even though he had a holy face, but he looked, you know, the Chinese part, that's when the people started to listen and hear him. Interesting, right? Well, after he started there, his heart was to go inland, not just stay there. A lot, some other people would just stay there, but they were scared to go inland. And that's why he's a pioneer. He, he went. He, he went. He went where no white person ever went before. And he went inland, and he started to witness, and people were coming to the Lord. I mean, this is areas where no Christian has been ever seen. So God used him in a great way. He, he paved that path. And later he started China Inland Missions. And hundreds, a couple hundreds of other missionaries came and followed him to bring Jesus to China. And I just love that. But it started there in Shanghai and it went in. And that's what we see here. You see, here's Barnabas, Saul, and here's John Mark with them. The sharing of Jesus started here on Cyprus. Well, the sharing of Jesus happens when people are willing to step out, to take that first step and go, to go where God has called them to, to go, to that place, to actually make the effort to go there, to step out and reach people. And I think we got to see this and we got to hear this. We got to hear that, you know, God is calling us just like these guys to step out, to start sharing Jesus, to start talking about God, to pray for people, to care for people. And sometimes, you know, it starts right where you're at, your neighborhood, your workplace, uh, people you hang out with. It starts right there. And I'm not saying, you know, you know you, you, right, right now you got to go to China, you know, and maybe someone's called. Maybe you're listening online or you're here and one day God, you're called to missions. I, I know many people who sat in church for a while and all of a sudden this call comes in and they end up through that process uh, uh, going on the mission field. But I think it starts somewhere, and I think it got to start where we're, where we're at right now. So, and, and so step out. Go. You know, let God use you. And let me say this. I know the first thing our thought is, I don't, I can't do this. I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't, I don't. you know. And maybe you're a little more introvert or shy, and you're like, I can't talk, you know. Right kind of thing. But it's God who empowers you. You know, it's God. Remember these guys, the prophets or teachers, they were, it was God, it was the Holy Spirit who empowered them. And so it's just that willingness to step out. And when you're willing to step out, God will bring the opportunities. And that's what Paul looked for. He looked for opportunities in his synagogues. So we just got to be open to the opportunities and pray for that. And don't think you can't or limit yourself. Just have a heart 
to share, and God will show you how. Let me share this with you. I thought this was great. I read this story about this elderly woman who came to be saved in Jesus, and she was saved. Though she was blind and she couldn't read or write, she had a heart to share the gospel. And you know what she did? She asked the missionary, this was in Africa, she asked the missionary for a Bible and to underline John 3.16 in the Bible and to mark, like bookmark it where it is. So then she would go out and try and share the gospel. So the missionary like, was curious, like, how is she going to do this, right? So she followed her one day to a school, and she, she, she went to the school for boys, and she went there and just to talk to them after school and stuff. And she would go up to a boy, blind, everything, can't read. And she said, could you read for me this verse that's Mark in this Bible? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, so open it up to John 3.16, and they would read it. And then she said, do you know what that means? And then she explained and shared Jesus Christ. I thought, oh, she can't read right, but she knows the gospel. And she has them read it. <laughs> and she shares and what I read was 24 of all the schoolboys she led to Jesus became pastors. Isn't that amazing? So no matter what your limits are, God can use you in mighty ways. We just got to get started sharing. Somewhere, somehow, just start sharing, and I would share right where you're at. All right, so the mission begins. We have number one, the sending. Number two, the sharing. And number three, the sabotage. The sabotage. Now, a battle happens, or a spiritual battle, you should say. But look at verse 6. Uh, we're going to cover verse 6 through 11, but just look at verse 6 through 8. It says here, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. All right, what's going on here? Now, Barnabas and Saul, they had worked their way across the island. Remember, they poured it on the east. East, and then they're working across the island to the west now. Because um, here in verse 6, Paphos is uh, the west side of the island, and it's actually the capital there. So they worked away preaching the gospel, going to a Jewish synagogue, sharing with Gentiles all the way. And when they reached Paphos, they came upon this magician. Now, he, he's like a, a seer. He's like, and he's working with this um, uh, pro-council Sergius Paulus. The pro-council is a Roman, say, like governor. He's the overseer of that whole island. And so he's a magician, a seer guy. He's kind of like, uh, you know, like in Daniel, they had the child, or what were the names? Chaldeans, was it? Huh? Chaldeans? That was some, huh? Chaldeans. Yeah, but, you know, they were like, advisors right spiritual advisors so a lot of the the political leaders will have someone so here's this guy but luke tells us that he's jewish but he's what a false prophet remember what we were talking about false prophets he's not the real thing here so so he's there 
And his name was Bar-Jesus, which means son of Joshua. Well, he was there with that proconsul, the Roman uh, Sergius. And notice it says that the governor guy was a man of intelligence. In other words, he was a thinker. And so he probably heard some stuff about what Barnabas and Saul were saying. So he sought to hear the word of God, what, what they were talking about. Hey, I, I want to hear this because he's a thinker kind of guy, you know. And, and isn't that great, though? Amazing. What a door of opportunity, right? The, the head, the overseer, the governor, let's say, of the whole island calls you and says, Hey, I want to hear the word of God. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> right? What a big door you know, of opportunity to share Jesus Christ. But, verse 8, Elimus. Now, the name change here, uh, Elimus means wise man. So I think that though his name is Bar-Jesus, I think that he told everyone, call me Elimus. Call me the wise man, you know, and everything. And so that magician, um, wise man, opposed Barnabas and Paul, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So he didn't like Barnabas and, and, and Saul. And maybe it was his Jewish background. Maybe it's, you know, like a lot of Jews didn't want um, anything to do with Jesus, you know, and Christians were heretics and all this stuff and blaspheming God. Maybe that was part of it. But I tend to think that... He didn't want anybody kind of making their way in between the proconsul and him. Remember, he's like the spiritual advisor. And if you remember from our studies in Second Peter, false prophets, what were they into? The money, the position, the power. And maybe he was threatened by, wait, these guys come in. He wants to listen to their philosophy, their thinking. Oh, no, no, not going to happen. So he wanted to turn the, the governor guy away from the faith. Underneath it all, though, we know what? It was Satan, right? Satan's trying to stop the, the, the gospel to be spoken to the ears of this governor guy. Here, and I just want to pause for a moment. Here you get a, a, a little glimpse of the spiritual warfare that's going on. Though, this Elimus, yeah, he has maybe these ulterior motives and stuff. But underneath that, Satan is using his jealousy, his lust for money, power, position to stop the gospel from coming to the ears of someone who's interested. So we, we, we see a little glimpse of this. And I want you to remember that. Keep this in mind. When you go out on your mission, and, and meaning wherever you go, Wherever you're at, when you share, remember that it's a spiritual battle. Remember, understand this. Leading a person to Christ is not some academic exercise. It isn't. It's, it, it's not a sales pitch. Yeah? It is really an all-out war against the forces of evil because it's a battle for someone's soul. So understand that tonight. All right, well, verse 9 But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? 
And now, verse 11, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Whoa. So here's Saul now. Notice it says here, but Saul, who is also called Paul. From here on, there's a switch in his name. And I'm so happy because I keep getting a mix. I keep, I got to stick to Saul in our study, but then I'll say Paul and I go back to Saul. But I like this. It'll make it easier for me. Now, Saul is his Jewish name. Paul is his Greek name. And I believe as he's taking this missionary journey, taking the gospel out first to the Jews, then the Gentiles, he is changing to Paul as he is the apostle to the Gentiles. And he's fulfilling that commission, that call of God, all the way back to the, the Damascus Road when he first got saved, that the Lord said, hey, you're going to be a witness to me, to the Gentiles. So now it's switched to Paul, and I'm so happy about that. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, this wasn't him, okay? This was the Lord speaking, yeah? It wasn't Paul all mad and angry. This was the Spirit, God speaking through him. And Paul looked intently at him. In other words, he looked him square in the eye. Yeah, It's like sometimes with our kids when they're growing up, go, look, me, look at my eyes. Look at my eyes, you know. <laughs> See my, you know, kind of thing, right? But here's Paul with this, this Elimus guy, right? And Oh, he gets straight here, right? With, 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 the, with the Holy Spirit, the discernment of the Spirit, looking straight in the eye, he says, you son of the devil. Oh, but you know what he's saying? He's saying, look, you're doing Satan's work here. Do you understand what's, what you're doing? I mean, he's Jewish. He understands God and the devil stuff. But look, you're doing Satan's work. You enemy of all righteousness. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you're working against the truth of God. You're supposed to be Jewish. You're supposed to be with God, you know, about God and, and scriptures. You are going against God's truth. You're actually an enemy of righteousness. You're full of deceit and villainy. In other words, you're, you're full of fraud. You're a you're scam, scammer kind of guy. You're, a, you're full of villainy like you're thief and a cheat here and, and evil, right? And then he says, will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? In other words, we're, we're showing you how through Jesus how to get straight to God, but you're like making it crooked now. You're turning it, it around. And so with that, by the authority of God and the power of God, verse 11, so he just tells them, behold, the hand of the Lord. This is, this is the Lord. This is God. This is not me. Is upon you. And you will be blind and you will, you're unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, I can imagine this mist, like probably got cloudy his eyes. And then, boom, dark. And he was blind. And then he went, seeking, you know, help for someone to lead him by his hand. Whoa, this, this is like crazy in how all this happened. You can kind of see what the Lord is doing because Elimus wanted to keep others in the dark, so darkness came upon him. But notice something here. 
Notice three words. In the middle of verse 11, after it says, unable to see the sun, what does it say? For a time. If you circle that, mark it as God's mercy and grace. He could have been judged totally and left blind, but for a time, I think the Lord was giving him mercy and grace that he would see after a while and perhaps come to repentance of his sin and realize he's confronted with his own sin because this, this is God doing this, right? He's convicted in with what Paul said. I think about Romans 5.20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And I wish Luke would have wrote down later, remember Elimus? When, he, when his eyes were open, he came to believe in Jesus Christ. I wonder, I wonder what happened there. So here's the sabotage. He's trying to sabotage God's work. But the sabotage was stopped with God's mercy. The sabotage was stopped. For God's mercy. It will stop. But it was with God's mercy for hope for later. If you don't know the story of the five missionaries martyred in 1956 while trying to reach the Haorani tribe deep in the jungle of um, Ecuador, you got to read the book Through the Gates of Splendor by Elizabeth Elliot. But there's other places you can read about that story. But the amazing thing to me, well, these, this, these five missionaries, their families went out to, into the jungle to try and witness to this tribe. They ended up being martyred by the tribe, the husbands. The amazing thing to me is Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of the slain missionary, Jim Elliot, along with Rachel Saint, wife of Nate Saint, went back to the jungle and ministered to the very tribe that killed their husbands. And in the coming years, many came to Jesus. Those responsible for that tragedy, they went back and they became saved. That, that's God's mercy and grace, right? And, and that's, that's how God works. God's arm is, is not too short. His heart is not too small to reach even those who are, are being used by the enemy to stop the gospel. So if anything, pray for them. Pray for those who are trying to stop the gospel that, you know what, don't hate them, but pray for them that God would have mercy and save them one day. All right, so the mission begins, number one, the sending, the sharing, the sabotage, and lastly, quickly, the saving, the saving. We come to verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? God is so powerful. Satan tries to stop it. But then, I bet you Luke was so happy to write these words. The pro-council believed. He had true faith. He came to salvation in Jesus Christ. And, and what helped that? Well, when he saw what had occurred, how this Elimus was blind, the power of God that, that, 
the supposed magician, you know, spiritual guy was or whatever powers he had, he, he, it, it showed that what they were teaching and preaching about Jesus is true. And so he was astonished. He was amazed. Like, whoa, this is true. At the teaching of the Lord. The, the power that made Elimus blind only proved that the truth was real. So understand, it wasn't the miracle that saved the proconsul, but believing in the truth of Jesus and what he did, that's what saved him. But what helped them to see how real the word was, was this powerful act. So what a powerful testimony yeah, that was put forth. What a powerful act. William MacDonald said this, he became, talking about the proconsul, he became a true believer in the Lord Jesus, the first trophy of grace on the first missionary journey. I, I love that thought. Yeah, a trophy of grace. All right, last point. The saving came as the result of a powerful act of God. The saving came as the result of a powerful act of God. And I'll tell you right now, I am thinking about this very thing, that the actions that God does, that, the, the works he does through us, yeah? It, it shows the truth of Jesus Christ, of who we are, saved people because of what God did. And that's in my mind because of how we're, we're, we're doing everything we can to help people affected, you know, by the fire and what's happened in Lahaina. I'll tell you, every person I run into, I've been asking this question. How are you doing with the fire? How, how's it going? Some are okay. Some are not. Some share oh, what, what they want to do to help or what they're doing for help. I share, hey, you, you know, if you see a need or if you're in need, you know, our church, we're trying to do as much as we can. And let me know. Let me know. And I'll tell you, people are really touched by that. People, people are really moved and and. And I've been really, my, um, lately my circle of unsaved friends are, are the surf community, uh, the surf crew, this early morning surf crew. And I've been talking to a lot of them. And um, even, um, um, even um, I was, past months I was surfing in Lahaina Harbor uh, before all this. And I was getting to know the Lahaina guys up there and, trying to witness, talking about God, praying for them. And I finally talked to one guy on the phone. I got his number. and He's okay and everything. So, um, but, but he's a believer. He needs to get back in church. But he, he said, oh, I went to Kumalani Chapel. I go, oh, good, good. But praying for him. But in all of this, and just, just trying to see how you're doing, I was noticing today, like someone today asked me, hey, Rick, where's your church? And I'm hearing that more and more than ever before in all these years. And, 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 and even some people, you're a pastor, right? I go, yeah. And so we get into this conversation. And so because of the events and things are happening, it's opening up opportunity. And so I share, well, if you need help, if you need this, and what are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing this. And, 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 and so I feel like it, it, it's really an open door through their heart to be able to share Christ. I feel our efforts to do whatever we can in this crisis is opening those doors to the heart as we help in provision as we help in prayer or clearing the land or any of that and so i believe doing all these things is a powerful act and people can see through us god is here
And that gives us this open door for the gospel. So I believe, you know what? God wants to use us so that many souls could be saved. Turn over to Matthew 5.14 and we'll, we'll close with this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Jesus is speaking here, uh, speaking about us being a light in the world for his gospel. And from verse 14 through 16, Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. And then look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Well, how do we do that? Look at the rest. So that they may see what? Your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So understand, all that we do, especially right now as a church, as a body, to help people, to care for people, to pray for people, to show love, just by saying, are you okay? That's the works. That's the powerful, powerful act of God using us and that they may come to see the Lord. So we have an opportunity to shine that light. Let's do that. And to open the door to share the gospel. Think of it this way. What we do, it's not like we we just go out and we share. Oh, Do you have Jesus? No, it's through our works. See, we back up who we are by what we do. And then think about it this way. Then what we say is powerful. What we say about Jesus Christ. I'll close with this. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by deeds that you do, by words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? It's so true, you guys. God is calling each one of us, and and there's no better time than today in and with the events that have opened up, the tragedy, to, this is the time to step out, to help out. And God is wanting to send us right now to do those things, to be involved. So let today be today, if you're not already doing it, let this be what God is calling you into. Let this be when the mission begins. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for speaking to us, God. Thank you for confirming even everything that we're trying to do, Lord. God, it's a mission. You're sending us out on a mission. It's a mission for relief, for our relief effort and, and support and helping and serving. But God, more so, it's for us to represent you and shine a light and to be able to open the door to the heart to share your gospel. And I pray that right now, Lord, that every person we can help and serve with, every package of supplies we deliver, every person that we say, can I pray for you? Every person that we ask, are you doing okay? No matter the answer, God, may that be powerful enough that they feel something different in our words. Even simple words of, are you doing okay with the fire? Let that be so Holy Spirit empowered that they know there's something different in that because it's coming from us 
who believes in you, who are saved in you. So, Lord, do a powerful work in us and help us, by your Spirit, to have the courage and the strength to step out to do your work in this world that needs you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.